Hey, Papang Posse. Welcome back. This is episode two of Side Projects. Brought to you by Mike of the Papang Project. Let's go. Let's stage dive in. <laughs> no, it just doesn't feel right. Let's go. So I was thinking about something I could discuss on one of these side project episodes. Um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the first one of these, I kind of go into detail about where we're at with the show currently. Keenan's been mad busy with crew coaching, um, and that hasn't let up just yet. Hopefully in the coming weeks, that won't be the case anymore. But for the time being, I still miss recording and doing stuff in the interim. And while I'll never be able to do a full album review in as much detail and depth as the two of us usually bring to you, I still wanted to record some stuff in between just to, you know, stay sharp, stay in tune with the kids and all that stuff. So uh, I haven't done one of these for a week or two, had some stuff going on, some good stuff. We were recently in Florida, celebrated my cousin Lauren's wedding to Kyle uh, my cousin-in-law, my new cousin-in-law, Kyle, also the designer of the Pop Punk Project logo and artwork, so relevant to the show there. Um, but that was really great. That was just this past Saturday on June 5th, and June 5th was also my son Jack's second birthday. So he got to celebrate poolside with donuts, and then later that night at the wedding, Got a nice cupcake brought out to him, and everybody there sung happy birthday. So it was a really nice long weekend, quick getaway, some little R&R down in Sarasota, Florida. So that was great. And um, otherwise, not a ton going on with me. Uh, work's busy. It's my busy time of year at work for anybody that cares. Um, lots of stuff going on there. So in that sense, I'm kind of glad Keenan's busy too, because otherwise I would be the one that's busy. But luckily we're both busy, but I don't have to say anything about my busyness because he doesn't have to know about it. So we'll see if he listens to this episode. I know he listened to the last one. But anyway, so the past couple of weeks I was like, what do I want to talk about on the next side projects? Because I know I can tend to ramble and maybe people want to listen to that. I mean, you always have the option to fast forward or just turn it off if you feel like that is the case and that's not something you're a fan of. But I wanted to have some sort of structure going forward, um, just something for me to go off of what I wanted to talk about. And this kind of came about organically. I'm not sure how it happened, but I found my way back onto my Tumblr page, which for all you young kids out there, Tumblr was kind of like the blog hosting site of the, I would say maybe the late, mid-2000s, like 2008, 2009, 2010. Honestly, I think I probably stopped using it sometime shortly thereafter. And the posts themselves are, they're organized, but they're not really timestamped that well. And um, so I couldn't find the exact date for this post, but I think I was in Tumblr because every once in a while I'll get a random email telling me that I need to update my password or they're going to like shut down my site, which I don't really have any use for it anymore. I haven't used it in a long time, but I still like having that kind of stuff available to me. So I go in and I change my password. So that might have been what had happened recently, or maybe I was just on there for other reasons, because every once in a while I'll see it come up in a tweet like, you know, Tumblr discourse bleeding into Twitter discourse, how everybody kind of moved from Tumblr to Twitter, and Twitter started out as this 
kind of wild west where you just posted things and nobody ever saw them and now it's like a pretty prominent like resource in terms of news and um everything like i i get most of my information and news off of twitter just based on who i follow and i look for interesting stuff on there but that said i stumbled upon this old tumblr post that i must have made back at some point in 2010 because reading the other post um for a while i shared my instagram photos to my tumblr page so i was able to go off of them what time it was so this was somewhere in 2010 and the premise for this post was pretty simple uh the description i put was the 10 albums that changed my young life in order of when i listened this does not mean all of these albums still interest me they just really mattered in the moment and some still do So those were the parameters I set for myself back when I was 19 or 20 years old. I'm not sure why I felt the need to go into that much detail to clarify to people that um, maybe these albums don't interest me anymore. Maybe I felt like I was too cool for some of these albums. But looking back, I still still like all of them. And there's a couple pop punk ones on there. And there's a couple others that normally I feel like we probably wouldn't really discuss on this podcast so I thought that might be a nice opportunity to you know shout those out and go into a little bit of detail on each one as I said these are 10 albums apparently that changed my young life in no order other than when I first listened to them so this isn't a a top 10 list or a ranking list these are just um chronological I guess in my life and I'll have a little bit of commentary on each one and at the end I'll go into ones that I think I might have left out and since this list did cut off in 2010 I'll be interested in kind of maybe revisiting it at some point and seeing what albums if any in the past 11 years should be added to this list and If that's the case, which one of these albums will be removed from the list? Pretty high-stakes stuff right there. So, before I get started, I was thinking with my Tumblr, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to Marissa because, you know, she gets in touch with us after almost every episode, so we appreciate her listening. But her and I started Exangas back in high school. So, for the young, young people, Exanga was like, what we used as like our personal blogs back in grade school, like early 2000s. And, um, but we started them in high school as like a joke, like, oh, let's start Exangas now when really they're, um, not utilized anymore. So shout out to Marissa. Um, and she'll come up again in this, in this list for sure. But anyway, let's get started. I will read the artist, the album, when it was released, and then, um, yeah, we'll go from there. So, hope you guys enjoy this little rundown on side projects. The first album on this list is The Beatles, One, released November 13th, 2000. This album was a compilation of most of the Beatles' number one hits throughout their career. And up until this point in my life, I was 10. I had just turned 10 when this album came out. And I guess I listened to mostly what my parents listened to, different CDs in the car. Ones that come to mind were the Beach Boys, Endless Summer. They had that. They played a lot. And... Other than that, my dad liked Steely Dan, and we would always listen to Sundays with Sinatra driving home from church. So I hadn't really had interest of my own up until this point, music-wise. And that all changed the first time I saw the commercials for this CD. So at the time, you could still order things off of your TV. You know, they would run ads. 
and you could call a number and place your order for this CD. So the, the commercials were just snippets of the Beatles songs along with videos of them and whatnot. And, you know, it summed it up, all the Beatles number one hits on one CD for the first time ever. So a lot of these songs hadn't, maybe not a lot of these songs, but some of these songs hadn't been on CD release up until this point. Like they were singles that were put out in the 60s or early 70s and that was really the only format they had been released on up until this point. I know the Beatles had also put out two volumes called Past Masters which included some of the other songs that hadn't been released on their full-length albums but some of these singles up until this point weren't available on CD or if they were they might have been in other compilations that were like uh, I remember the covers were like blue or red, but they were too expensive for me. They were like 20 or 30 bucks because they were like two or three CD sets. So, And as I said, I wasn't really interested in the Beatles before this anyway. So this was my first experience listening to them. So I remember my parents gave it to me as kind of a surprise. We were driving home from my grandparents one night and usually we would listen to uh, my dad's Steely Dan CDs, but they put on this CD and they said, hey, what do you think of this? And I said, like a snotty 10-year-old kid, like, oh, this is fine, but it would be better if it was the Beatles because I had obviously made it known to them for a little bit that I had wanted this CD. So unbeknownst to me, it actually was that CD. They had gone and bought it because in addition to being available to order from the television, I guess they were selling it in stores as well. So it's like Love Me Do came on. That was the first song on the CD. And they're like, well, this is the Beatles, idiot. And from that moment on, the Beatles were, have been, and will always be my favorite band ever. Uh, maybe some people think that they're overrated. I would argue that they are actually underrated given the amount of music they were able to write and record in such a short amount of time. If you think about it, they really formed in the early 60s. Uh, maybe 63 was when they first started putting out music and 64 was when they first kind of broke out in America with I think I Want to Hold Your Hand was their big first single in America. So from and then they were, they were broken up before 1971. So say from 1964 to 1970, they put out around 13 full-length albums, tons of singles, and have become pretty widely accepted as the greatest band of all time. So I think about that in terms of bands today and how bands will go two, three, four years, sometimes more in between albums. And just the fact that these guys were like not pumping out because that makes it sound like there was no emotion or depth to what they were making. But they would put out an album every year, sometimes two albums in a year. And just for that really six year period to have produced all of this music is always going to be incredible to me. I think I could still name the songs in order if if I needed to. I'm not going to do that right now since I'm already going to be listing enough things this episode. But yeah, it was all their number one hits. So it was all the ones, like the songs that most people know by the Beatles. Like you might not love the Beatles, but you probably know a lot of these songs. Like I Want to Hold Your Hand, Help, Hard Day's Night, come together penny lane they were all on here and remember penny lane was the one that really struck a chord with me when i first saw these commercials like the chorus of that song just sounded so pretty and unlike any music i had heard before so yeah this is definitely the first album on this list and still a very important album to me not my favorite beatles album of all time. I don't consider compilations in my favorite albums list sort of thing. Uh, my favorite Beatles album of all time is Rubber Soul, which was when they really first started going from 
the pop early works that they would put out to their more rock hippie-ish later releases so that was like the transition album for them from really poppy radio tunes into more experimental music that hadn't been done the way that they were doing it they were just uh, masters at it so yeah Beatles one first one on this list number two we've discussed this before it's episode 10 of season one for those of you that want to go back and relive that magic but good Charlotte the young and the hopeless came out October 1st 2002 so maybe this was one of the ones that I was concerned about if people would nobody looked at my tumblr so I don't know who would have cared but Maybe I was concerned that they would think that this was a lame album to have on this top 10 list. But in the years since, I've stopped caring about what people thought of my music preferences. Um, I have nothing to be ashamed of. Good Charlotte. The Beatles were my first band that I was interested in. But Good Charlotte was the first current band that I really got into. And we went into detail on that with our good buddy Tom Mackle back on episode 10. But really, it was the singles that were everywhere at the time. And the anthem, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, Girls and Boys, they were just all over the radio, all over MTV. And they were some of the catchiest songs I had heard up until this point in my life. I remember being in FYE buying this CD and there was always like that's one thing I I do still kind of miss with like buying music I guess I still like to buy records from time to time but there's really no replacing that feeling like discovering music is an incredible feeling in general but just to go to a store and at the time I was 12 years old so to go into the store and go and like you know scan a to z find find them on the cards and pull that cd out for the first time was just it's just a cool feeling and the album cover is great it's a family sitting around watching an atom bomb explode i loved everything about it i love the gothic font the lime green lettering everything about it was so cool to me and i don't even think i started listening to the full cd for a while for the first month or two, I don't think I could get past the anthem. I just kept listening to the anthem over and over again. And I would listen to it while I was walking my ground's dog. I would listen to it just walking up and down my street. I just felt cool when I was listening to the anthem by Good Charlotte. And in a way, I guess that's still true. When that song comes on, I just think, man, what a cool song. And you know, Good Charlotte, um, they're not a band that I really still follow, which I feel bad about sometimes, but their sound changed. I grew up and I guess the sounds that I were into kind of evolved away from what they were making. And really, I didn't listen to them much um, after this album. I listened to their next album, The Chronicles of Life and Death, which I also enjoyed a lot. But after that, I think their album after Chronicles of Life and Death was Good Morning Revival. And um, that had a couple songs that were fine. But they really just went full radio pop at the time. Like The River, Get Your Hands Off My Girl. And I don't know. They were okay, I guess. But at the time being, what, 13 or 14, I was in high school then and Good Charlotte wasn't necessarily cool anymore. And then the songs they were making weren't even really songs that I was into. So um, from there, Good Charlotte and I kind of parted ways. But I still love those guys for the music they gave me. And really, the love they instilled in me for pop punk and that genre and everything that came to follow. I know maybe not a ton of people would be happy to say that they started loving one of their favorite genres of music through Good Charlotte. I guess it's cooler to say that it was Green Day or Blink or even an older band. 
But for me, Good Charlotte really was what got me into pop punk. So thank you, Good Charlotte. Number three, Fall Out Boy from Under the Cork Tree, released May 3rd, 2005. Here's another one we discussed. This was episode one of season two, which seems like forever ago. It wasn't all that long ago, but, you know, we went into detail on that episode, so I'll try to keep this a little bit brief, but again, Alex Taratowski burned me this at camp, and man, I could just not get enough of this album. The summer of 2005, this was just on repeat over and over and over again. And similar to Good Charlotte, these songs were just so catchy. And I had heard Sugar Were Going Down, and I loved that song. At the time, still considered Fall Out Boy a girls band because only girls I knew listened to them. Got over that right away as soon as I heard the majority of the songs on this album. It w- they were just fantastic. So yeah, go back and listen to episode one of season two to hear more about this album. But yeah, this was a real standout for me. Man, did I love it. And Fall Out Boy, it's weird. Same like with Good Charlotte. Like these bands have I don't wanna sound I don't wanna sound like a loser, like the, the whole like oh their old stuff was better, but I don't know. This album just hit me at the perfect time in my life. I loved it. I still love it. Um but yeah, Fall Out Boy, not a band that I'm necessarily checking out all their new stuff, but this is one I can always go back to. It's a great like album um, if I'm at the gym, which, you know, it happens very regularly for me. Uh, mowing the lawn, which is more regular than the gym, at least. But yeah, love it. So thanks, Fall Out Boy. Again, Hello Megator coming up in August. Can't wait. Number four. Another album we've discussed. Wow. So you can see in the early years of my music listening life how these pop punk albums really started taking hold it's something corporate leaving through the window released may 21st 2002 we covered this one back on episode six of season two so check out that episode if you haven't if you want to hear us go into that album in more detail but this was one i got to later again alex taratowski steph Seely, mega mally those girls from oak terrace um were in love with Andrew McMahon and something corporate and Jack's mannequin. So I probably didn't listen to this album until freshman year of high school. So if good Charlotte was like middle school, fall out boy was like the summer in between middle school and high school and something corporate and Jack's mannequin was like freshman year of high school. And then pretty much all of high school, I was obsessed with um, something corporate and Jack's mannequin. But this album was the first one I listened to. And, you know, we went into a lot of detail in that episode, but the piano component of it, um, Andrew's piano playing, was just something different. It was still a sort of pop-punk sound, maybe more alternative than what I was used to at the time, but I really fell in love with the lyrics. I thought, at at the time, um, I was really into writing, which... I guess is that's another reason why I never want anybody to find my tumblers. It's a lot of just like random like crap that I would write out, and some of some of it's not bad. I'll be honest. Like I was reading through a lot of posts, and like you know, a lot of it's trash, but some of it's okay. Um, give myself some credit, but um, yeah. So leaving through the window, we discussed it back in March. Jesus, but um, it it was really long. It was like 13 or 14 songs, almost an hour in length. And I loved every second of it. I, I could not get enough of it. Um, Hurricane, my favorite track, still hold it near and dear. So yeah, number four, something corporate leaving through the window. From there, this is interesting because this band was one that I really got into in grade school. So I'm not sure why I put it at number five on this list, but I'm not going to argue with 2010 me it's there for a reason i guess it's weezer pinkerton september 24th 1996 is the release date and this was weezer's second album after their debut lp self-titled weezer probably better known as the blue album based on its blue background with the band standing in front of it but pinkerton 
so Blue Album was the one I really was listening to in grade school. So maybe I figured Pinkerton I got more into in high school, which was probably the case. Pinkerton was the darker, moodier follow-up to their debut release. And at the time, it was pretty widely panned. Not a lot of great reviews. It was just really different from like the surf rock vibes of the Blue Album. Pinkerton's more emotional, like literally emo, like... Uh, their singer, Rivers Cuomo, their main songwriter, he really wrote this album kind of independently from the band. I'm I'm just basing this off of past things I've read, so some of this information might be wrong. But I think he was at studying at Harvard at the time, and he wrote a lot of the lyrics then. Um, but I guess he was under a lot of pressure to follow up their debut release, which had sold very well, had been widely acclaimed, and this was the result. So, you know, you hear the term sophomore slump, there's always a lot of pressure for bands that start off hot out of the gate with a debut release to follow that up with something as good, um, if not better, if not at least on a similar level. And with Pinkerton, it was just so different that everybody was kind of like, these, this isn't the Buddy Holly guys. This isn't the Say It Ain't So guys. What is this guy talking about? Like, ha- being tired of having sex. Like, being in love with this Japanese girl. Some cool wrestling references in El Scorcho, which I always appreciate. Uh, watching Grunge leg drop New Jack through a press table. Johnny Grunge, New Jack, now both deceased. New Jack passed away recently. So now, I guess Johnny Grunge is leg dropping New Jack through press tables in heaven. Um, Although, you know, questionable histories with them, so hope they're doing okay wherever they are. But um, yeah, so before I even liked wrestling, that was the line. I I would sing, what what are they talking about? Watching grunge leg drop New Jack through a press table. Like, it's complete gibberish. Gibberish. But for those of you who aren't familiar with wrestling, the press table is, I guess where the announcers sit. So you see it on a lot of old WWF clips, like people being slammed through the announcer table or just like a table in general. So I guess Johnny Grunge, if you can picture him, leg dropping New Jack sprawled across a a press table um, and hopefully breaking it in half. But I think Rivers was reading a wrestling magazine and that was, um, there's some backstory, like there's some girl he was interested in and she liked wrestling and so he was looking through our wrestling magazines, and that was a photo in one of the issues. And at one point, I looked online trying to find that exact photo. I don't know if I was successful. Um, maybe I'll look at I'll look again. I think that would be an interesting thing to find. But yeah, so Pinkerton, it was just I don't know. It it really was just so good, and it still is so good. It's still my favorite Weezer album by far. I would say The Beatles' Rubber Soul is my favorite album of all time, just based on the fact that it's The Beatles, they're my favorite band, but Pinkerton is probably my third favorite album of all time, and um, that's probably not going to change, just because I listen to this album so much, and really, it solidified Weezer as my favorite band at the time. I saw them live back in 2007 with Angels and Airwaves, which seems like an odd pairing, But um, it was a really good show. I went with my friend Dave, my friend Bill, and um, that was at, I think, the Tweeter Center. It was still called at the time over in Camden. So that was a great show because um, there's a lot of Weezer discourse that goes on on the internet. A lot of their later albums have left people wanting for the inspired sound that they had in their first couple of releases. I haven't loved a ton of the more recent stuff. Um, The White Album being the exception. I absolutely love that album. It came out in 2016. So they are still capable of putting like really good songs out. Each new album, I'll find like one or two songs that I really love. But the album as a whole is just like, eh, it's not, you know, it's not resonating with me the same way as their earlier stuff did, which... I know I don't want to sound like the snob, 
but I think a lot of people probably would agree with me on that in terms of Weezer. Not saying that they don't make good music anymore, it's just as complete albums, I'm not as into it as I once was. But again, Hello Megator, August, Fall Out Boy, Weezer, Green Day, it's going to be incredible. Okay, moving on. Number six, Death Cab for Cutie, Plans, released August 30th, 2005. This is where I'm kind of wondering chronologically, like, is this one out of place? But it came out 2005. I think I listened to it for the first time the following summer, in summer of 2006. Um, my friend Georgia burned it for me at, at day camp. So uh, that camp was just a huge source of music for me, um, looking back on it. But yeah, she gave me the CD, and I think I had heard I had heard Crooked Teeth. I had seen the music video for Crooked Teeth, and I really liked that song. And at the time, like the way things went, were like you would hear a song, and you either bought it from iTunes, and if you wanted to listen to more, you know, you could buy the CD, or if you knew somebody else that was into the band they would burn you the CD, which nothing, no device I have even has a CD, CD drive anymore. So I was thinking the other day, like, could you still burn a CD if you wanted to? And you would have to buy all these additional, like, plugins for your laptop, which kind of stinks. But again, the only place I could play CDs is in my car. And I don't even know if new cars have CD players anymore. My car is a 2015. So I have no idea if these days new vehicles are actually being you know, hooked up with CD players. That could be, I mean, the CD is pretty much dead, but it might be really dead. If if someday I get a new car and I have no place left to listen to the CDs that I still have for, you know, I'm never going to get rid of them. That's just the way it is. I tend to hold on to things much longer than I should, um, but I just can't bring myself to get rid of those. So Death Cab for Cutie plans. Death Cab became one of my favorite bands after this album. Um, this is where my buddy Marissa comes up again. You know, she was a huge Death Cab fan as well. Mainly, I think we bonded over their album, Transatlanticism, which was the album that they released before this one, and primarily the song Lack of Color, the closing track on Transatlanticism. I guess it's kind of our song, you know? No romantic history, no um, nothing but love and friendship, but we always just loved that song, Lack of Color, and um, it kind of became our song. So shout out Riss again. But Death Cab, that, they're a band that I saw a couple times in concert. They're another band that my sister and I really loved, which was great. You know, we would bond over their music. And they are a band that I listened to up until very recently. I still like to check out their new albums. I think the last one I really listened to regularly was Coz and Keys, which at this point is probably almost 10 years old. It might be 10 years old. That might have been 2011. Jeez. But um, yeah, Plans will always have a very special place in my heart because it was the first Death Cab album I heard. And I remember at the time they were kind of really getting on the map because I think they were on the OC a lot. And at the time, like MTV was kind of fading. So music was being featured in other ways. And if your band was on the OC, that was a pretty big deal. Number six, Death Cab for Cutie Plans. Number seven, Neutral Milk Hotel, In the Aeroplane Over the Sea, released February 10th, 1997. So obviously, as evidenced by the date, I did not listen to this when it first came out. I did not listen to this album when I was seven years old. This was a high school listen for me. And I think it was burned for me for the first time by Buttons, my old buddy from high school. Um, he was like, you gotta listen to these guys. They only made one or two albums. This is the one that everybody talks about. It's like kind of crazy. It's a, like it's a concept album based on the diary of Anne Frank, which sounds insane. It, it kind of is. But if you listen to it, there's a lot of um, inspiration taken from World War II and Nazi Germany and just, I don't know. I mean, you just had to listen to it because it doesn't sound as odd as I'm making it sound by just describing it in, in so many words. 
but the songs on this album are incredible. Still some of my favorites. I still listen to this album pretty frequently. I remember in high school, I would always listen to, like when it got warm out and I would drive home from school, Jack's Mannequin, Everything in Transit was the first album I would listen to, like with the windows down. And then once I got my fill of that, this was number two. Great album. A lot of upbeat songs on it. And then some slower ones. Holland 1945 was like one of my, f- my favorite songs at the time. Yeah, it just seemed that everybody gets inspired by this album at some point in their life. I don't know if that speaks to how good it is or if that's just like everybody tells you it's good. So you go into it thinking it's good. And then if you get something out of it, you're convinced it's good. But I remember at the time I was really into it. I also loved Manchester Orchestra and Kevin Devine, who did a lot of touring together. And on one of their tours, they would cover this song. And the cool part that I remember was they had two people drumming while they were playing this live, which I just thought was uh, really interesting. Like there were two drum sets on either side of the stage. They were facing one another and... Um, I'll try to find a video of it because it, it really was quite good if I remember correctly. So it, it just seemed like, wow, like all these bands I like now also love this album. Logically, it would make sense for me to love it too. Neutral Milk Hotel, like I said, they made one or two albums, like at least two, maybe an EP in there as well. But then they kind of split up and haven't done much since. Their singer, Jeff Mangum, every once in a while, like he would creep up and do like Like, I remember he did, like, one or two shows at the Knitting Factory, I think, in New York. I might be wrong with that, but they really have never reunited or done, like, much touring. That would be something I would love to see live, either Jeff Mangum solo or if the whole band reunited somehow, that would be great. But um, I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. So, number seven, Neutral Milk Hotel in the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Number eight. Built to Spill, There's Nothing Wrong with Love, released September 13th, 1994. This album was, I mean, it is just an incredible album. Built to Spill is still one of my favorite bands. They're the last band I saw in concert back in October of 2019 with my brother-in-law TJ, so shout out TJ. That was the tour they played their album keep it like a secret in its entirety which was fantastic another one of their albums that i love but this was the first one i heard by them i don't remember exactly who first gave it to me but if i had to guess i think it was bk my good buddy brandon bk clevens from saint joe's prep so i think he was the first one to give me some built to spill and this album in particular was just um it's incredible i think i just said that but It features my favorite song of all time, fun fact. Um, Their song, Car, is... From the second I heard it, I was like, there's just something different about this song. And it's still my favorite song. Every once in a while, I'll reassess, like, is this still my favorite song? Yes, it is. Car by Built to Spill is still my favorite song of all time. So definitely listen to that if you're going to listen to one song off this album. But the whole thing is just great. It's like slower paced. It's, It's more of an alternative um, vibe, but Built This Pill just puts together really great musical like pieces, and then the lyrics on top of that are just icing on the cake. So they're just a very, very good full band. Like some bands I listen to for the music, some bands I listen to for the lyrics. Built This Pill, you get both. No questions asked, no doubt about it. Each album they put out, I really tend to um, very, very much enjoy. But this one's still my favorite by far. So, number eight, Built to Spill, There's Nothing Wrong with Love. This out, That album is also, if I'm doing my top albums of all time, it's number four. So if you're keeping track, um, number four is Built to Spill, number three is Weezer Pinkerton, number one is The Beatles Over Soul, and number two I'll have to address when I get to the end of this list because it's not on there, and I'm very surprised in myself. Um, number nine, The Wrens, The Meadowlands, released September 9th, 2003. So the band's called The Wrens, the album's called The Meadowlands, and this was a song that admittedly I talked about Pitchfork in 
the last side projects episode how they gave MGK a surprisingly more favorable review than I was expecting for his album, like his pop punk album. For a while in college, I would kind of just go through old Pitchfork reviews and just look at like their highest rated albums and see if I if I agreed with it. I guess if it was an album that uh, I enjoyed as well. And this one, if I'm not mistaken, I think they rated it a 9.7, which is insanely rare. It's, you know, if you get like a 7 or above, it's considered a pretty good album. They grade on a very tough scale. I think they think very highly of themselves, which, you know, that's maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing. But, um, so I saw this album, I'd never heard of this band, but 9.7, that sounds pretty, pretty interesting. And it was a newer album at the time. I listened to this one. So now we're in my college year. So if you think about this list, it was 2010. So I was probably in between my freshman and sophomore years of college. So I think I first listened to this song freshman year. I remember I, uh, please don't tell anybody, but I think I illegally downloaded this one using the bandwidth from my dorm. At the time, you know, you had to plug your laptop into an ethernet cable connected to the main wall and each student was given a certain amount of bandwidth to use each month, which sounds like a crazy concept nowadays, but that's just how it was back in 2009. So I downloaded this one, and it's really long. It's like not necessarily long lengthwise, like time-wise, but it has a lot of songs on it. The album itself is 56 minutes. Okay, so I guess I lied. And it's 13 songs. Okay, so I'm an idiot. Just reverse what I said. Because 13 songs is a pretty common track length. 56 minutes is a little bit long in terms of time length. So I I guess I misremembered that one. But that aside, some really, really great tunes on this one. Again, I guess more alternative than pop punk. Hope you guys will be okay with me just reading this list and not amending it for genre's sake. But... There's, there's just like, it's kind of similar to what I was saying with Built to Spill. The lyrics on this are just incredible. The music is incredible. Um, and put together, it's just unreal. Like, it's unlike anything I had ever heard. Like, they had put out two albums prior to this one, which just never really interested me. And I'm not sure if you ever had that experience where, like, you listen to one album by a band and, like, you love the band. Like, these guys... I don't know. This is one of my favorite albums of all time. But then the first two, I just never really got into. Like, I've listened to them, but they're just not the same sound. They're not as, like, fleshed out and um, emotional. They're kind of more um, poppy alternative songs, which is fine. But just after I heard this album, it's like nothing will ever compare to this one. They're a band that, believe it or not, like, they're still semi-together. This came out in 2003. They have not released an album since then. Um, apparently, they have one that at this point has to be ready for release. Um, I follow them on Twitter, and it seems like they've been writing and recording this thing forever. And at a certain point pre-COVID, um, whoever runs their Twitter account, one of the members of the band, was actually letting people that wanted to listen to it, if they were in the New York City area, come over to his house or his apartment and just sit there with them and listen to it, which sounds like such an incredible experience, which, you know, if I had lived a little bit closer to New York City, I would have loved to have taken advantage of, especially since it's been like two years since that point in time, and there's still no new album. Um, I don't even, we don't even have a name or a release date, release date yet, but when that time comes, it's like, it's been my most anticipated album for years, um, so... I can't wait to see what they put out next because an album like this, like it's hard to follow up, but it's been, it's been 18 years. So I'm sure they've been able to, you know, put together a couple good songs in that time. They, like they're kind of a, the, a band that moved on past musical careers. They have families, wives, and you know, they still do music as like a passion thing as like a fun thing, but it's not their full-time profession. So I kind of respect that too. That's that's pretty interesting to me. So um, yeah, that's number nine, The Wrens, The Meadowlands. So definitely check that one out. And that brings us to number 10, the final one on my list here. 
this would put us right up until the point when I probably made this list. So it's Arcade Fire, The Suburbs, released August 2nd, 2010. Arcade Fire was a band at the time. I always wanted to like them. They were a band that seemed like they were trendy at the time, I guess. I guess they still kind of are, but maybe not as much. Um, their first two albums are really good. Funeral, their debut album, is is incredible. It's another one of my favorite albums, but I was never into them like when they put out an album. So this was the first album when I had kind of started listening to them that they put out. And I remember they announced they announced the album, and on the day they announced the album, they also released their first two singles, which were the title track, The Suburbs, and Month of May. And Month of May never really did it for me. The song's okay, but The Suburbs was a completely different story. That song is still one of my favorite songs. For anybody that grew up in the suburbs, the lines in that song just resonated with me so much, and they still do. They just brought me right back to being like a preteen, a young teenager, just kind of spending all day outside, um, just being with your friends, riding bikes, swimming in pools, goofing around, just the general innocence of youth that I mean, at the time, I was still pretty young. I was 20 years old, but I'm sure I thought that that innocence was long gone. And now at 30, I guess I still think the same thing. And I'm sure at 40, I'll say 30 was nothing. But this album was just like, it was unlike anything I'd ever heard before. Every every single line just spoke to me. And I still listen to it quite frequently. There's a couple of amazing songs that like come to mind, like The Suburbs I mentioned, Ready to Start. Modern Man, Suburban War, Deep Blue, Sprawl 2, that if you listen to one song, if you're not really an Arcade Fire fan, listen to Sprawl 2, Mountains Beyond Mountains. I'm not sure if they ever released that as a single. I think they might have, but it's just so good. It's so catchy. I just, I don't think there's any way you can listen to that song and not think like, okay, this, there's something there with this band. Maybe they're not for me, like 100%, but this song is one that I can, um, I can agree that it's a bop. There's also some special, like, I guess, I don't know if you would call it a personal connection or not, but at the time, so this was, I probably made this list summer summer or fall of 2010, and at the time, my wife was still just my friend. We used to drive back and forth to Penn State together because we lived close at home and had never met in high school, despite having mutual, like, circles of friends, and um, she was just one of my friends who had a car at Penn State so she was kind enough to drive me back and forth and this is still the case but my wife was a huge fan of like early to mid 2000s like hip-hop like she could name Little Wayne songs or Nelly songs she probably knows most of the lines so those Usher stuff like that she was never into alternative or pop punk or rock music and so I remember for our car rides I would put together playlists which sounds like really cheesy and I didn't even mean it in like we were not romantically involved like we were literally just friends and I don't know at the time it was just like this is my friend Abby but I would always like okay we got a three-hour car ride let's listen to like we would go back and forth like she would play a song I would play a song whatever and so I played the suburbs and just the song not the whole album I wasn't gonna torture her that badly but um there's a line on there that Win Butler says, can you understand why I want a daughter while I'm still young? I want to hold her hand and show her some beauty before all the damage is done. But if it's too much to ask, send me a son. So that line, I always thought was such a cool line. I always liked the idea of like a father and daughter bonding and just doing things. And just like I briefly touched on in the last episode in our trip to Disney World, like getting to share with your children things that, you know, you thought was amazing when you were a kid and having the ability to impart some of that love and some of that experience onto them so that line always stood out to me and I remember I was like you know I'm I was like completely in love with this album and I, I was playing the song I'm like do you hear that line isn't that a great line like isn't that so nice and maybe not years later but later on she's like yeah I just thought that was like really sweet like that you thought that line was cute which I don't know is that lame maybe I feel kind of lame talking about it, but whatever. It is what it is. And um, 
so yeah, I guess so that album always holds a special place in my heart because later on in um that school year, sophomore year, we started dating in February of twenty eleven. So this album always kinda reminds me of that time in my life, which obviously was a good one because I met my future wife. Not met, but you know. Um she became my girlfriend and then my wife and now we have a two year old son. So it's crazy how time flies. That's a decade of my life. It's a very important decade of my life. So this one, um, I don't think will ever find its way off this list. So number 10, Arcade Fire, The Suburbs. That brings me to some final thoughts, if you're still with me here. If you'll notice, I didn't get to my number three favorite album of all time, which is not on here. I'm curious as to why, but it is Elliot Smith's album, Either Or, which I think came out in 1996. I didn't look that one up because it wasn't on the list. But Elliot Smith was, we talked about him briefly at the end of our Fall Out Boy episode, but he's my favorite singer of all time. Either Or is my favorite album by him. And that was one that I was like, I was madly in love with all of his stuff in high school. So the fact that that's not on here is interesting to me. I think if I were to revise this in some way, that would probably be on there because 10, 11 years later, and I still have that album firmly in my top five albums of all time at number three, sometimes number two. Is it number two? Where did I put Pinkerton? I think that's number two. So yeah, the fact that that's not on here is a bit of a travesty in my mind. Um, so hopefully you guys are dealing with it okay because it was a shock to me. But um, yeah, maybe I'll revise this at some point. I kind of like where it's at. I think it still holds true. I think it still speaks to who I am as a person, as a listener of music, as an individual. You know, I got to tell you, 20-year-old Mike, like, don't be embarrassed by the stuff you like. Uh, maybe not everybody's into it. Maybe it's not everybody's cup of tea. But the music we listen to says a lot about us and kind of becomes a part of us. So I'm proud of my list. I'm proud of my Tumblr from 2010 with my crappy poetry or um, whatever I was putting on there back then. But yeah, so that's really the main meat of this episode. I did have a couple things to say in terms of what I'm listening to, and I didn't realize it till right before I started recording, but it actually coincides perfectly because I'll give you a little bit of an overview. This list was made in 2010, and that same year, the Wonder Years released their album, The Upsides, which um, I listened to very, very frequently my freshman year of college. I think I actually have a list somewhere. <laughs> I love making lists. Um, who doesn't, right? But I think I had an a-, a list of my favorite albums of fr- my freshman year of college, which I made. Um, I also made that summer. I guess I was bored that summer. Um, but so The Upsides was definitely one that I listened to a lot. Anyway, so that came out in 2010. Their next album, Suburbia, I've Given You All and Now I'm Nothing, came out in 2011. And this past year in 2020... It was December of 2020. They put out two songs that um, they stated were inspired by those albums. So the album cover for these songs on Spotify says, In celebration of the 10-year anniversaries of The Upsides and Suburbia, The Wonder Years proudly present Breakless and Out on My Feet in the style of those recordings. So The Wonder Years are a band that their sound has evolved over the past decade. They're one of the pop-punk bands that I would consider towards the top of my list of like current bands that I'm really into and I have enjoyed all of their releases after those albums but those two were ones that like really stand out to me when I think about albums of that time so earlier this week I was thinking about the Wonder Years for whatever reason and kind of thinking about different songs by them and then I realized like they had put these songs out back in December and maybe listened to them once or twice when they first came out but I didn't actually, you know, give them my full attention. I like to really listen to things over and over again to get a real feel of how I feel about them. And um, so I did that again this week. And I'm like, oh, wow, these these songs are in the style of their, their albums that were released 10 and 11 years ago. This list is from 10 or 11 years ago. And isn't that nice how that worked out? But the songs are called Out on My Feet and breakless. So it's just two songs. 
I guess, what would that be, a mini EP? But Breakless in general is just, it's a really good song. So if you haven't heard that by the Wonder Years, check out Breakless and Out on My Feet as well. But Breakless is just the perfect example of a Wonder Years song because they say so much. Like uh, Dan Soupy Campbell, their singer and songwriter, he's able to fit so many pertinent lyrics in to these songs and like you don't realize all they're saying and then you listen to it again and again and you read the lyrics and it's like wow like all these lines that they're saying are like really powerful and um I really like I'm a sucker for the hometown groups we kind of got into that on our starting line episode but um these songs still talk a lot about Philadelphia which is where they're from they're from Lansdale PA uh which is Monco represent Um, But obviously, you know, they gravitate more towards Philly and having lived there and um, formed their careers there, that obviously is a special place for them. But in their later years, they've kind of moved away from writing, you know, Philly-centric songs and are now writing songs about uh, reigning in Kyoto and so completely different um, parts of the world. But I'm still a sucker for their songs that involve Philadelphia and Breakless in general just has like some great lines like uh, the city budget is being cut so they're only plowing the snow on Broad Street. Uh, he he gets his bike wheel caught in a trolley track. Um, so just a lot of cool little Philly references that I appreciate. So definitely check out those songs if you're looking for something to listen to this week. I think you'll probably enjoy them. And uh, yeah, so thank you guys for indulging me. I hope you get something out of this. Maybe if you want. I mean, we can't travel back in time yet. Um, but, you know, it's a thought I've had for a long time. And it's like, if time travel ever at any point in history, in human history, existed, wouldn't we somehow know about it? Because, I mean, it doesn't matter if it exists now. Like, I'm not saying it has to be invented today. But somebody in the future would know about it. And wouldn't they travel back in time and, like, kind of slip like let that slip a little bit like we saw what happened in back to the future a lot of wacky stuff can happen so i don't know maybe they clean up their act and they travel wherever they want and they don't let us know that uh okay that was that was really rambly but my point was you can't go back in time to 2010 and go through your life and list your albums but maybe you can do that now um i think it's a fun exercise and just i mean (laughs) that makes it sound like work this isn't work for me (laughs) this is this is uh, all fun and leisure here. But um, I think it's cool just to compile things like that and see where you stand. Like, Especially if like you look back on it in you know, future years and you think, man, like, it's, like for me, it's really cool how all these albums still are kind of near and dear to me. Whereas, you know, there are other things that I once loved and thought, I, surely I'll always love this thing. And it just doesn't be, doesn't, you know, follow with the same trajectory as my life. But I'm pleased to say that most of these albums are still really um, important to me. But again, I might want to revise this and I would, I'll have to pluck out one or two. So now my mind's going to be racing around that for a while. So, so thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Keenan, my buddy. Got to give him a shout out again. Uh, he's still killing it. They're like, I'm telling you guys, like his team's out of control. They're winning they're just like he posts these pictures on Instagram and they're just like holding multiple like they just they have all these races in one day and they just win like every race it's unreal like I don't think it's normal so congrats to him and to the St. Joe's prep crew team we'll have some fun things to talk about eventually when we get back together I just really miss him I know I could just talk we still talk we still text but then part of me is like I don't want to talk to him too much because on one hand we have weeks and weeks of like stuff we haven't talked about and like maybe that'll come up in an episode and I don't want it to be inauthentic or sound rehearsed, which, you know, you you don't want that from us. You want the real deal. You want off the top of our head, whatever we're thinking, that's what you get from us. So, all right, guys, take it easy. And what did I say last week? Oh, it wasn't last week. This was like, it's like our, my break has been mini breaks now. I think it's been two or three weeks since the last one of these. But um, until the next one, my fellow pop punkers, 
rock on. today I ate my subway sandwich and I drank my coca-cola classic and then I ate my sun chips and then I thought about the weekend when I fill up my Ford van with mobile brand gas and drive to the clear channel venue and drink myself a Budweiser and play my Fender guitar through my Fender amplifier and tell the kids with a straight face through a short microphone and JBL speakers that corporate rock is for suckers. Uh, yeah.